many of you or most of you are aware, I started a series three weeks ago asking and answering this question, why in the world are we here? Why in the world are we here? And we've looked at a couple of things. We are here, first of all, to glorify God because we are made in His image. And then we looked at that we are made for fellowship in the family of God. And then last week we looked at we are here to serve in God's kingdom. Today I'm going to look at we are here to expand God's reign. Expand God's reign. I'm going to turn your attention to Acts chapter 8. It's a, a lengthy reading today. And I'll just have Anthony keep playing because everything sounds more spiritual when you have background music. And uh, so we want, the Bible's already spiritual, but my reading of it, we want it to be as spiritual as possible. Acts chapter 8, verse number 4 says, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, Preaching the good news about the King God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. He continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to preach much of the rest of the end of that chapter as well, but I will stop there. But I want to preach for just a little while on expanding God's reign or to expand God's reign. That's one of the reasons we are here is to expand the reign of Jesus Christ in the world. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his word today? Somebody asked me yesterday, they, they asked me if I was a history buff. And I, I like history. It was my favorite subject in school, maybe because it was fairly narrative in the sense that it's telling stories of what happened and that was a little better than algebra and things of that nature and so I I like history I've always liked history and when we look at the history of these United States how we started as 13 colonies 
up and down the eastern seaboard of the United States. They were all just right along the edge of the ocean. But then as time progressed, there was this continual push to go further to the west. There's more land. We need to see what's over there. And, and so they, they began to go west of the Appalachian Mountains and into Kentucky and Tennessee and Ohio and Illinois and Indiana. And then kind of everything stopped because they ran into the Mississippi River. And running into the river was, was only one piece of it, but everything to the west was controlled by France. And so the expansion stopped. And then Thomas Jefferson decided to do the Louisiana Purchase for $15 million. And one-third or more of the United States was purchased in that one piece. But the reality is that while France and the U.S. agreed that they owned the land, there were people living there that didn't agree that they owned the land. And so it was a, another 58 years or so, and maybe even into the 1880s before everything was really opened up and you could live there without any, any danger of, of being attacked by Indians or Native Americans or even outlaws because there was not much law. And I've told you before, my favorite time period is that, that, that Old West type of time period. And I love those books that describe that and talk about that. But there was this push westward, this westward expansion as it was called. And then in the 1850s, they coined the phrase of manifest destiny, that God was in kind of in control of what was going on as they were pushing west. And ultimately in the 1850s, the the continental United States was all formed, the official boundaries, and states would move their boundaries, but for the most part, nothing was going to change in the contiguous 48 states after the 1850s. But it was about expansion, it was about taking more territory, it was about the United States ruling or having uh, reign in that broad area that we now look at and call the United States. There is a similar pattern to the expansion of God's kingdom. That there is a a, a place that it starts, the New Testament church, it starts in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, everybody says it's the birth of the church. They don't put the birth of the church prior to the ascension of Jesus Christ. But on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after that Passover where Jesus is crucified, That's when the birth of the church begins, and and it begins with a great supernatural event. As the Bible says, and when they were all on accord, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was the birth of the church. It was the fulfillment of the promise that that Jesus had said, go and wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. It is the power and the promise that he kept talking about. And it was the birth of the church, but it was only in the city of Jerusalem. Now, no doubt, those people that were there for, for that feast of Pentecost, they came in from all over the, the known world, they were Jews, and, and they experienced that some 3,000 that day were born again of water and spirit. And they probably took it back to where they were, but there wasn't a really a great expansion of the kingdom. 
But what Jesus had said in Acts 1.8, he says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost or to the end of the earth. It has started in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in Judea. It's the state, so to speak. It's not all of Israel. It's just that part of Israel. It's Judea. He said, in Jerusalem, and then all Judea. So it's going to start here, and it's going to expand. And expand it, they did. They went all the way to the edges of Judea. But he said, it's not going to start to stop there, that it's going to go to Samaria. The next region over, the next state over, so to speak. He said, it's going to go there, and then it's going to go to the end of the earth. And, and the book of Acts tells us this whole expansion story of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it moves from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria in chapter 8, and then it begins in Caesarea and to the Gentile world in Acts chapter 10. And then Acts chapter 13 comes along and Paul and his missionary journeys as they expanded all the way to the end of the known world. It is a process of evangelism it is the process of sharing the gospel and telling someone the gospel of jesus christ is called evangelism and it is that that expands the kingdom of god it is that that expands the reign of god if you're a child of god then what that means is that jesus christ is king of your life we toss the word lord around all the time it needs to be lord of your life and and that's true. That's biblical. But maybe if, if you think of it in terms of a king, everybody knows what kings do. That whatever the king wants, that's what the people do. Whatever the king says, that's what the people do. It's, it's maybe a little less abstract than calling him Lord. But if he's king of your life, that means he says, do this, and guess what? You do it. And he says, don't do that, and you don't do it because he's king. And you're listening to him. And, and when he's king of your life, that means he is ruling and reigning in you. And the way in which we expand the kingdom of God is to bring somebody else that is not under his reign. We bring them into relationship with him through evangelism and through the power of the Spirit. And when we do that, now he is ruling and reigning in their life and his kingdom is expanded. We don't expand it by taking more ground. We don't expand it by taking more physical territory. We expand the kingdom one person at a time as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. That it's just one person at a time. It's your next door neighbor or it's your coworker, or it's somebody at school that when you tell them about Jesus and they say, I want to serve him. I want to make him king of my life. Now you have expanded God's reign because you've added somebody else to his kingdom. That is what evangelism is is all about our text is that expansion of the kingdom into samaria the expansion of god's rule and reign into the next state over if you will from judea it's now in samaria and, and if you put this in the context of what's going on around them and what's going on in the time period that the jews have come uh, the jewish leaders have issued great persecution to the Christians. Those same Jewish leaders that put Jesus to death 
they don't like his followers either. And so they began to put them to death. And because of that, they expand and they move out of where they are because they don't, they're not going to stop being Christians. They're not going to stop testifying about what God has done. They're not going to stop preaching the gospel. They just don't want to die for it. And so they began to spread out around the area. In fact, Acts chapter 7 tells us of Stephen preaches a, I guess you could call it a hellfire and brimstone message. He knows they're going to kill him. And so he doesn't pull out any of the stops, but he just lets them have it with everything he's got. And at the end of that message, they stone him. And the Bible says that one Saul of Tarsus is standing there holding their coats and their robes while they throw stones. But because of that persecution, Philip now goes to Samaria. And and just after this in Acts 9, that same Saul of Tarsus is now going to be converted. He's going to become a Christian because he has an experience on the road to Damascus. But I I want to look at Acts chapter 8 and pull out five principles of evangelism from Acts chapter 8. I'm going to hurry. I'm going to try to be done at 1130. 19 minutes to go through five things. So if I spend 10 minutes on one, I'm not going to spend 10 on all of them, okay? So just just hang with me. In fact, they're probably a little more uh, backloaded, just like I normally do. I got most more information at the end than the beginning, so you might should get worried if I spend 10 minutes on this text. But the first truth is this, the first principle I want you to understand is this, is that evangelism is successful in difficult times. That we sometimes have this, this idea that if things are going bad, then the kingdom of God is not going to expand. That, that during the middle of a pandemic, the kingdom of God is not going to expand. But I would tell you that it's in those kinds of times and the difficult times of life that people are open to receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're open to hearing that, that there is a God who loves them and wants to spend eternity with them. They are open to that. Verse 4 says this, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. They left Jerusalem, they left Judea, and because of persecution, and they went about preaching the word. They didn't stop preaching because things were difficult. They just went to a new place where they weren't going to get persecuted quite so much, but they went to a, a place where people were, had not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. There's a saying that says, the darker the night, the brighter the light. That if I were to take my, my phone out and I was to turn on my, my, my flashlight, I'll do that. If you're looking directly at this flashlight, it, it might hurt your eyes, it hurts mine. From where you are, it probably doesn't bother you at all. But if I, if I do this, you can't see any result of that light anywhere. But if this room is dark, that light will start showing up some stuff. That light will let me see where I'm going in the middle of a dark place. That light will will let me know what's out there. And it is the way with the gospel of Jesus Christ that the darker things are around us and the more sin and the more wickedness, the more the grace of God abounds and the more the light of Jesus Christ will shine in the darkness. 
That from a long way you can see this light if everything's dark. Jesus said we are like a city set on a hill. So that everybody can see the light and, and come to know the God whom we serve. We often look at evangelism and, and we look for these perfect or right opportunities to share the gospel. Been there, done that. Waiting on just the right time. But I would tell you that every time is the right time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That wherever we are, we should share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're trying to hurry me on. They went on to point two already. I'm still on point one. That's all right. But wherever we are is a good place to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. People don't need platitudes in difficult times, but they do need the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't need to just hear about love. They need to see it in action. They need to experience the love of God. In the middle of difficulty, they need to experience His love. And when they do, they're going to want to come to the God whose love they have experienced. Evangelism, number two, is to be done wherever you are. The Bible says Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Now understand, and I, I told you that concentric circles of Acts 1.8 starts in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria to the uttermost or to the end of the earth. But Philip doesn't have Acts 1.8. The book of Acts isn't written. He's living it out. It's going to be written later about what he has done. All he knows is there's somebody who hasn't heard the gospel. And the reality is this, is that Jews didn't like Samaritans. We've talked about that before. They didn't like Samaritans because they were half Jews and, and they worshipped God in a different way. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They didn't go to Jerusalem to worship, but they had their own place of worship. The Jews and Samaritans didn't get along, but Philip finds himself in Samaria and he says, well, I'm here, I might as well preach the gospel. And so he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Nobody is telling Philip, Hey, Philip, you need to go to Samaria and begin to preach. They haven't heard the message. But God is leading, and the Spirit is telling Philip to go. And so he goes, and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every place is a good place for people to hear about Jesus. On the job is a good place for people to hear about Jesus. At school is a good place for people to hear about Jesus. And unless you have fear about that, there is this pesky little thing known as freedom of speech that allows you to talk to people about Jesus wherever you are. It's amazing how that freedom of speech thing gets in the way of some of the agendas out there. Prayer in school, you can have that. You can pray all you want. And what they've said is as long as there are tests, people are going to be praying in school. You'll never stop it. The school leaders, and they may not pray with you, but you can pray in school. You can pray on the job. You can share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you are. 
on the sidewalk or at Walmart or in the drive-thru. I had this, uh, this experience, and I saw the guy today, and he loudly yells, Hey, Pastor! Every time he sees me in the drive-thru now. But I have this, I have this pattern of, of, that I do on, on Sunday mornings, and my last stop before I arrive here is to, to go through the McDonald's drive-thru. It's the breakfast of champions. And it, it was just before Christmas, and I'm going through the drive-thru, and I, and I don't know why he, uh, I don't know that I'd ever seen him before, never really paid attention. This, this guy, he's taking my credit card, and he, he, he doesn't, he, he, he looks around kind of like this, he's like, hey, do you believe in Christmas? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I believe in Christmas. I was like, I'm, I'm actually a pastor. And he's like, oh, really? And then he named off kind of, like, I don't know if he meant it, I don't know if the Lord was telling him or what, or he'd been on our website, he's like, are you Pentecostal? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so we had this little dialogue, and then he tells me at the end, he's like, all right, I'm going to call you up, and I give him a card, he's like, I'm going to call you up, he's like, Merry Christmas. But he didn't want to say Merry Christmas, you know, if I wasn't, if I didn't believe in Christmas. So he's looking around, he's like, hey, do you believe in Christmas? And now every time I go through there, if he's there, and, and he gave me my food today, he didn't take my order, he gave me my food, he's like, hey, pastor, how you doing? And he's, he don't care anymore. He can't say Christmas, but he was going to say Christmas. He was going to say Merry Christmas. He wasn't going to say Happy Holidays or, or whatever it is that's politically correct. But I'm going to tell you that wherever we are is a good place to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere there are hungry people, it is a good place to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me hurry. Number three is this. Evangelism is to be accompanied with signs and wonders. Verse 6 says, the crowds with one accord were, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in the city. Philip didn't go in there and just tell him, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. I hope you believe what I'm saying because I say it so well. But he went in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. And that as he's preaching, he's also saying stuff like, hey, not only is he our Savior, but to prove he's our Savior, let me, let me show you how he's our healer. And let me show you how he can cast out demons. And if you're paralyzed, he can heal you. And if you're lame, you can begin to walk. And if you're blind, you can begin to see. And if you're dumb, you can begin to talk. And he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And signs and miracles and wonders take place. And it is because of that that they believe the message that he was preaching. It's not just because... It was such a great message. In fact, Paul would say this, it is through the foolishness of the message preached that people are saved. King James says through the foolishness of preaching, but, but the more accurate is through the foolishness of the message that is preached. That God 
come down in the form of man, become one of us, live a perfect sinless life and go to the cross and be crucified and be buried and then be raised again on the third day, that if you believe that and you obey that, you can be saved. He said, that's a foolish message. It's a stumbling block. Who would believe that? But he said it is through the foolishness of that message that people are saved. It's not what you would think. That's how, you wouldn't come up with that plan. God came up with that plan. He accompanies his word. He accompanies the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And signs and wonders should happen. And it's not just if I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that signs and wonders happen. Jesus said at the end of Mark, he said, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name you will cast out devils. You shall speak with new tongues. If you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt you. That signs and wonders follow every believer. Or at least they should. Signs should follow us and the unbeliever should follow the sign. That when we preach the gospel of somebody to somebody and they have need, guess what? That's a great opportunity for a miracle. They have some need besides just salvation. It's a great time for the miraculous to take place. And I would tell you that we must give the Spirit opportunity to move whenever we share the gospel. Talked about this in recent days with some of the groups that I'm involved in. But if, you, if, if you're talking to somebody about Jesus and they're sick or they have pain, no time like that moment to say, He is a healer. Let me pray. God may choose not to show up. But I can tell you this, if you don't pray, he won't. You don't have to guarantee them that they're going to be healed. You don't have to guarantee that God's going to do whatever miracle they need. But if you believe it, it's more likely that it will happen. And if it happens, it's more likely they will believe the message of Jesus Christ that you're telling them. Signs and wonders should follow. Number four, evangelism is about more than believing verse 14 now when the apostles in jerusalem heard that samaria had received the word of god they sent them peter and john peter and john two of those three that were really close to jesus peter the one who preached on the day of pentecost and three thousand people get saved that day peter and john now come down and prayed for the people in Samaria that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For He, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then began, they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. We live in a culture and I, and I don't want it's 11:26. I don't want to get bogged down in this too much we live in a Christian culture that says that all you need to do is believe the facts here are the facts just believe 
these facts. Jesus came to die for your sin. And if you believe that he came to die for your sin, and if you believe he's the only way to heaven, you just say you believe that. End of story. There's only one problem with that. We have a Bible that says other than that. I already read to you how the people in Samaria, they believed the message that Philip was preaching. They saw the miracle signs and they said, man, this is true. What he's saying is true. We believe it to be true. And not only do we believe it to be true, but if he's preaching that they need to follow Jesus, they're making a decision to follow Jesus. Not only do they make that decision to follow Jesus, but they make the decision to be baptized in the name of Jesus, which is what Peter says in Acts 2, 38. They get baptized in the name of Jesus. But as yet, the Bible says the Holy Spirit had not come on them. And, and in fact, there are different Pentecostal traditions that make a distinction between infilling and receiving and being baptized with the Spirit. And, and that's, that's fine. It's not true, but that's fine. Because the Bible says... They began laying their hands on them and they were now receiving the Spirit. They didn't have it before. The Holy Spirit had not come upon them before. But now, through the laying on of hands of Peter and John, they began to receive the Holy Spirit. Evangelism is not just about getting somebody to believe a set of facts about Jesus. It is to get people to obey the gospel of Jesus and to experience him to experience that death burial and resurrection through repentance through baptism in jesus name and through the infilling of the holy spirit that is what evangelism is about not just getting people to say i believe in jesus i don't have time to go into simon much but let me just say it this way he saw all the miracles and the bible said i read it to you earlier he was constantly amazed at the miracles that were being done constantly amazed and now simon who himself the bible says believed the message and himself was baptized he sees peter and john lay hands on the samaritans and when he does he sees something happen that he says, I want to buy, to buy the ability or the power to do that. He didn't want to buy the power, or the power to do miracles. He wanted to buy the power to see people receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and a couple of rhetorical questions for you is this, is how is it that they knew that the people had not received the Holy Spirit? How do Peter and John and how do Philip know the Spirit hasn't come? And then when Peter and John lay hands on them, all of a sudden now they know, and Simon himself, now he knows. 
And I will tell you, it's because there was initially the lack of an outward manifestation of the Spirit of God. That When somebody was filled with the Spirit, there's something that takes place, and it was missing. And when Peter and John lay hands on them, that missing element now shows up, and Simon says, man, I want to be able to do that. That Simon saw it, and Peter and John saw it, and Philip saw it. Everybody could see it. It wasn't a question. It was a reality. It wasn't just, I hope it happened. It wasn't just a passive experience, but they were filled with the Spirit, with an outward manifestation. And I would tell you that what the Scripture would tell us is that that was the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Lastly is this, evangelism evangelism is never finished this side of heaven. Evangelism doesn't stop with failure. I told you, Stephen in Acts 7, he preaches the gospel. Nobody's converted, but they kill him. The church doesn't say, man, we just need to give up on this. His failure doesn't stop evangelism. Evangelism also doesn't stop if you have great success. Philip goes to Samaria. He has a great revival. An extraordinary revival. The first non-Jews, or these half-Jews, now are receiving the Spirit of God. They're being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He has a great revival, and in the middle of that, the Spirit of God tells him, go out into the desert. He leaves his revival, and he goes out into the desert, and he finds an Ethiopian eunuch riding along in a chariot, reading the book or the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip figures out, this is why I'm here. I just had that big, great success. Hundreds, probably thousands getting saved in Samaria. But my job of evangelism is not done. He said, there's one man out in the desert who's hungry. And so God sends him out there and he joins himself, the Bible says, to his chariot. And he he asks, the, the guy, the Ethiopian eunuch says, he's reading the book, the scroll of Isaiah. And he says, does the prophet talk of himself or someone else? The Bible says that Philip began at that place and began to preach to him Jesus. The next thing we know, the the Ethiopian is saying, hey, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Maybe I should do it with my right hand. There's water. What does hinder me from being baptized? And his answer Obviously, Philip has been preaching to him about baptism. You don't just randomly go, hey, what about, there's, let me get baptized. Unless somebody's been telling you, you need to be baptized. And Philip says, if you believe with all of your heart, thou mayest. And the, the Ethiopian says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Philip said, let's go down and do this. And they both went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And then they both came out of the water. It's not a little pool, it's not sprinkling, it is immersion in a great deal of water. The Bible says that Philip was no more because the Spirit snatched him away and took him to Azotus and they found him in the city of Azotus some 26 miles away preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Evangelism wasn't done whenever he had that great revival in Samaria. It wasn't finished when he found an Ethiopian in the desert. It was a constant thing. And as 
Anthony comes, what I would tell you is this, is that evangelism is not something we do just at the beginning of our walk with God. And if you've been around church at any length of time, you've seen where people, they, when they get saved, they have a zeal and enthusiasm and a passion, and they're telling everybody they know. But evangelism is not just for the new convert. It's for the people that were born and raised around this. I'll be 49 in, in April. I was born, went to church all of my life, received the baptism of the Spirit at the age of 11. But it doesn't stop because I'm almost 49. It doesn't stop because I've been around this a long time. Evangelism is never complete. Our purpose is to always expand God's reign. Our purpose is to always reach one more for the gospel. I heard a story Rick Warren told this story. His dad died in the last few years. His dad was a, a preacher. And while we wouldn't agree with all of his theology, we should agree with his passion. Rick Warren said his dad wasn't a great preacher, never pastored a large church. He said, but he was a good carpenter. He said in his lifetime, he built 150 church buildings around the world. In his 80s, I think he said he was in Siberia building a church building. But on his deathbed, Rick Warren was sitting there talking to his 80-something-year-old dad who was getting ready to pass away, and he said this, just got to reach one more for Jesus. Reach just one more for Jesus. Doesn't matter if you've only known Jesus for two days, two years, 22 years, all of your life. It should be the mantra of our life, just one more for Jesus. To expand God's reign in just one more life. Just one more person that I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Just one more person that would come to know Jesus. Would you stand together? I don't know about you, but I, I feel the presence of the Lord. Would you lift your hands? And would you make that your prayer today? Lord, help me just to reach one more for you reach just one more with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To reach just one more person, Lord, that's not going to heaven. Lord, just one more person whose eternity right now is not in heaven, but in hell. Lord, I have to just reach one more for you. To reach just one more with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you reach out to him right now? Would you make that your prayer till you get a passion 
and a burning desire to reach one more with the gospel of Jesus Christ.